Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to ISS EDU Learn. Ask me anything. This is episode eight. Ask me anything where you ask the questions and we seek the answers. I am your host, Mike P., your favorite educator interviewer. AMA is brought to you by ISS International School Services. Before we get started today, just wanted to go through a couple of housekeeping items. So please don't forget to hit the subscribe, like, and leave us a review. We could be found on Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and also Spotify. Wanted to share with you a couple of events that ISS has going on that you may be interested in. You could find these events on iss.edu slash events. A couple of events that we have coming up is Moving Beyond Self-Judgment and Self-Criticisms Through Mindfulness on 11.30 and 12.7. That would be with Kaylin Fullerton and Dr. Francesca Malazzi. Then we have Responding to Our Students, Strength and Needs Through Conferring, which is happening on December 1st, which is going to be facilitated by Laura Benson. We also have a few... ISS has a few fairs, career fairs that they have going on. One is an iFair on December 3rd. Then they have a physical one after about three years, which is going to be in Atlanta. So that's also in December 10th. So that's going to be exciting. So if you have a chance, go ahead and uh, to ISS EDU and sign up. And the last thing is, is on January 11th, which is when all the Christmas and all the holidays and the new year has all settled down on January 11th. Please join us for a three-piece series, which is going to be on January 11th, January 18th, and January 25th by the name of Peace for the New Year, Building Resilience and Emotional Agility in International Schools. Sounds like a perfect way to start off the school year, if you ask me. And without further ado, I'm going to be introducing our guest for tonight, and that will be Sherry Spellick. Sherry, how are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. Nice oh, to be here. Good, good. Sherry, did you just, for those who are just listening in, let us know a little bit about yourself and what was your workshop about briefly that you had with us? Okay, I am an elementary physical education specialist at the American International School in Vienna, and I've been on staff for 26 or 27 years. And my workshop that I recently did for ISS was part of the Learning to Action, DEIJ Learning to Action Institute. And it was focused on identity and understanding how we need to look at identity in context and what that means. So we like to think about identity in very specific ways, like, okay, race, gender, and those things all matter. But my part of my provocation was to encourage us to look at context as well and how those tie into how we interpret identity, how we read identity. Yeah. And, okay, in that context, that context being race, what is that context? Well, the context in terms of, for instance, we can talk about, for instance, I am a, a an African-American woman, middle-aged, mm -hmm. grew up in the United States, and I work in an international environment, which is overwhelmingly white. Okay. And so that's that's one piece of it. But, uh, but I also, even as a Black woman in that very white environment, I hold a number of privileges that go with being an American citizen, 
that go with having English as my first language, having an educational pedigree that fits with the majority of the of my peers on staff. Mm-hmm. And so those are all things that that play a role in how we exist in our in our institutions and how we also understand other how we interpret other people's environments. Very well, very well. So I, I wanted to come across one thing that I came across is uh, something called the imposter syndrome, which I I don't think I ever thought about that in the manner that I read about it before. I'm pretty sure it's something that you, you're aware of. But the imposter syndrome, could you just explain that exactly to us, what that is? And then I'll go yeah. from there with the other questions that I may have. Right. Imposter syndrome is this idea that when we are interacting in particularly in professional environments, but it can also be in other environments where even if we are suited to the task, suited to the, that we have the qualifications and all of those things, that we still show up feeling like we don't belong, like we actually aren't entirely qualified, that we're a fraud. And so it's this idea that we feel like we're an imposter, like I'm making, like I'm, you know, the, the phrase fake it till you make it kind of is sort of a coping mechanism, maybe that some folks have used to kind of to to hint at that notion of imposter syndrome. But imposter syndrome is really rooted in the idea that I don't really belong here, that something that, tells me mm-hmm. that I don't belong here. But is that something coming from the self or is that something coming from like what's around? Because, OK. I don't belong here, I guess, is different than the results I'm giving. So if I'm actually doing the job and I'm doing a great job and I see the results, like, would you still get the imposter syndrome? Often, pe- the people that who who speak, who can articulate their sense of imposter syndrome are, oft- are often highly successful folks. Mm. Like, you will hear some folks who, you know, have, have achieved remarkable professional successes talk about, well, I still have imposter syndrome. And you're like, what? But you're you're this, you have this position. Right. You're at that status, right. right? And still, and this is something that is it's extremely common among women, and maybe even to a greater degree, I, I don't want to necessarily say that that women of color are more likely to have it because women, actually, we know that black women in the workplace tend to be, are far more ambitious, right? They they are ready to lead and they will express that. Now, how that's read, however, in white society is, oh, too forward, aggressive, for too direct, then we're angry. But, and whereas a white woman who is more assertive will be read differently, right? So that that imposter syndrome is, is kind of, is also culturally anchored, right? In also in whiteness in a lot of ways. Okay. And so how that plays out for folks of different identities will vary. And that's something that the literature so far has not really paid very much attention to. It's very interesting. So with that being like, so it breeds, so some places breed environment for self-doubt. So I would like to ask, because I'm a person that you're stating a big problem that's at hand. And I know there may not be a one solve all solution, but how could you transform, how could you have an environment that transforms that self-doubt into some sort of self-confidence? This is such a great question. And I, I am, I'm looking for that organization always, but I think maybe 
a way to think about it differently because I think most of us are looking for those those organizations that support us, that are that welcome us, that welcome our input, that recognize our genius, that recognize our brilliance, and we're not finding them. So many times we feel shortchanged by our environment. But here's what I'm I'm thinking is, and, and it's not necessarily something that can be solved on the individual level, but I do think that if we think, how am I contributing? to this environment? How am I, what am I modeling? How am I showing others? This is what I would hope we are all doing, or this is what I would hope we are trying to build. Because often, I mean, trying to create an environment out of one that's toxic, right? You, You can't make a toxic environment suddenly be responsive. Like it's not going to just become that by itself. And so we need to think about who is in the organization And what is the understanding about who we are as an organization? Because so often there's who we say we are as an organization, but then there's how we act. And there's often a disconnect. Absolutely. Uh, And those, but that I want, I do want folks to really appreciate the fact that those disconnects are fairly common, Like they're human. They're often human disconnection. But when you add the, the nuances of how identity plays out, who typically holds power and who may have less power, that the dynamics of who gets to create the environment and that supports someone who who really maybe just needs a little bit of encouragement, who is already miles ahead in terms of competency, but is just needs a, a little bit of encouragement, a, a, wor- a positive word, a sense that, hey, no, you are, we are glad to have you. We appreciate you. So often people are talking about mm. that they they really wish that they felt appreciated, valued, feel and that, that were expressed. So those are all things that I think we wish for in institutions, but we have to also look for it in ourselves. Am I being appreciative? Am I modeling that, that appreciative stance? Am I someone who is reaching out to others? Am I offering those kinds of encouragement? Do I have power? Am I opening doors for other people? All of those things contribute to building the kind of communities and the kind of also workplaces that we hope to have. I really appreciate your insight and your perspective. That was going to be my question because one, I I definitely have felt everything that you said, but in, in also looking in the organization, what do I need to do within myself so I don't feel like that? So when I walk into the room, I own my power because I did switch positions and I I definitely have felt like that lately I haven't because I've been walking in you know my greatness but other than that I don't know where the change or the switch came for me but what do you think others would need to do in order to get out of that mindset and start owning their greatness owning our greatness is it's a long road and the sooner we can do it the better but often, you know, I think it's sometimes it's seasonal, right? In in terms of se- in, in the seasons of our lives, when we arrive at a certain, you know, it could be a, a significant event that happens that sort of propels us into an awareness of ourselves, of our capacity. It could also be just where we are ready, like we we reach a certain ripeness, again, maybe through a particular situation that shows us, oh, I got this. And it could be in observing others. So we say, hmm, ma'am, I think y'all are, you know, like one of my, one of my favorite phrases in German is, 
die kochen auch nur mit Wasser, which means that they also only cook with water. They only also, you know, like they're also only boiling water. So meaning that the people that you see who are in leadership, that they're not necessarily special. They're not necessarily, they're not smarter. They don't know more. And so when you see it that way, that then you begin to recognize, wait a minute, I have capacity. What are the things that I am already doing? Because that's one thing is we also forget the many things that we already have, the many things that we already are doing, but simply are not an environment that recognizes them. So sometimes we need to take our talents elsewhere where they're going to be appreciated, but that's not always easy. So I think it's a series of things. And I think one of the things that helps a lot is community, is having a sense of here are my two, three, four, five folks who I know have got me under all circumstances. And that that just helps build us. And I'm saying this as a middle-aged woman, I'm almost, you know, I'll be 60 in a few years. And it's taken me a long, long time to reach this sort of clarity, a clarity about who I am, what my strengths are, and how I can apply them to the benefit, not only of myself, but to others around me. So I hope that kind of answers your question. Thank you so much. Is it Kendra? So gets me to thinking, so how do we pass this along to others? Because you just said something that really um, stirred or sparked within me. You said it took you a long time. So I've had several mentors, especially Black women, and we all talk about the struggle or, or the game that we have to play in order to get ahead, which I really don't enjoy at all. But at the same time, it's something that we have to do in life. So once we do get into that, that setting or place where where we are owning our greatness, how do we then give it to others? Or how is that like transformed so that others can receive it? And we're, our, our, our culture, we're not waiting so late and we're owning our greatness earlier on. That's a great, that's, such a, that's a wonderful question. Thank you so much. I, something I'm thinking about and that I've learned in the last several years, particularly on social media, is that several of my mentors are younger than I am. So several of my mentors who have have encouraged me in my writing, who have helped me develop my thinking, are often women of color who have who are younger, who maybe 10, 15, you know, maybe sometimes even 20 years younger. And so it has been my my openness to learn from them that has helped me appreciate their their worth, right? And they've helped me see my own worth. And so I, I, th- I think we need to think in more reciprocal terms that, that mentorship should not just be one way. No, no, it goes both ways so much. And that's, that's important for all of us to understand that each one of us has a great wealth of experience, knowledge, and wisdom. Even if we can't recognize it ourselves, there's someone else who probably can. And so again, I think I come back to that idea of community and how we build that, right? A community is, you know, if you think of a circle, right? The idea is that everyone can see everyone else. And that's why, you know, circles have a particular role in in communities that are not hierarchical, right? And so we think about building communities where we can see each other, recognize each other and see the value and the worth and how we all have something to contribute. So in terms of helping others see their greatness, I think sometimes we need to point it out to them, but sometimes we also, it's about being open to the many forms of greatness that surround us, right? That are in the everyday, that are in you know the simplest things. 
And maybe just, just saying, oh, wow, thank you. And also I want to say expressing gratitude has changed my life. And it's not just not, not a gratitude journal, but expressing gratitude to individuals for doing things. I, I have to say one thing that I love, I, have a, I live with a teen, which is a, that's something. But he always says, thank you for the food. You're welcome. But I think about how, you know, that is just ingrained in him. Like that's what he says and he means it. But it, but it's a habit, right? It's an understanding that grat- expressing gratitude is a norm. It's something we do. It's something that that become and it becomes part of who we are. So, thank you, Kendra, for that question. Thank you, Sherry, for answering it. Just as a follow up, you spoke a lot about community building. For those that may not know, like where would you start to go find such a community, like the ones that you were speaking of? Mm-hmm. Well. It's interesting to think about community because I would say in the last seven years where I uh, spent a lot of time, much more time online and certainly during the COVID years, almost, I wouldn't say doubled it, but it, it became more intense. I have been able to tap into online networks that have sustained me in very specific and very special ways. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see that coming. I mean, I've belonged to my my school community for twenty over twenty years, and yet the very the very distinct kinds of communities that I've been able to build outside of my school community online with people in higher education, people in international school education, people in um, other fields entirely, writers, um, for instance, math teachers, like what, but. In those conversations, some, sometimes we're talking about the same thing, sometimes we're talking about different things, but in sort of listening to each other's writing, we have I've learned from them and, and, and I feel that people have also learned from me and that has given me a huge amount of support. And it's also how I ended up being a member of the lineup that you have for the um, ISS yeah. Learning to Action series, right? That's a, that is a product of community. Um, ILOC as a community is just enormous. Their, con- I mean, the contributions of ILOC, the way that 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 community continues to grow and thrive and build capacity, right? So it's not just the community where I go and get something. Mm-hmm. No, it's where I go and contribute, and where I also where I where I also gain a lot. But it's always it's all this reciprocity, and again that circle that circle dynamic. That, that so- circle is there a hierarchy? There are hierarchy within the circle. I think hierarchies will exist that we create them. And I think they exist, they, they exist internally and they, they express themselves externally as well. So even if we're in the circle, we're often looking for an we're looking for a hierarchy. We're looking, who is the leader here? Right? Who is the leader? And what I've learned is, is that yes, it's okay. It's okay to have leaders. We need leaders and we need followers. And I want to argue that actually being a being a, being a strong follower is more beneficial because those are your team members, right? Those are the people who are going to get the stuff done. So leaders are fine, but what does the team look like? What is the team able to contribute? So I, and also I've, my understanding of leadership is evolving. So instead of looking for that single person, I am much more in the habit of saying, okay, what, who is the leadership team and what is their purpose and how are they using the resources around them? That for me is the measure of genuine leadership. Love it, love it. 
as we wind down, just going to go ahead and ask a couple of just speedy questions and just answer them as you can. But what recommendations would you have in regards to books for individuals to read if they are going through some sort of imposter syndrome so they can have the right strategies and such to kind of get through it? For Black women, I'm going to say specifically, I want every everybody to read almost anything written by Tressie McMillan Cotton, but particularly her book of essays, Thick, is just absolutely gorgeous. So read really anything by Tressie McMillan Cotton. She is my, my mentor. I really just can't say enough things about her. She's meant the world to me. And, and so I, I think she also writes about just a whole, a whole range of topics that particularly ap- applicable to Black women. And then, ooh, gosh, that's such a great question. I, I'm, and I'm looking at my bookshelf as I'm saying this. I'm, <laughs> I'm sort of like, mm, well, ooh, I like mm, that one. I also love Hood Feminism by Mickey Kendall. That was a very strong read for me. And, and I'm, you know, really kind of gearing this towards women. Mm-hmm. Um, I realize there are male listeners, but men, I want you to read those books too. In fact, I, I really want to encourage you to read them maybe two times in a row. <laughs> okay. So you feel men also could yes, uh, carry I, imposter syndrome? Oh, absolutely. Uh, okay. And I think it, ex- and this is an interesting, it's another interesting dynamic because I think imposter syndrome expresses itself differently among men, like how men are able, how men are allowed to show up is, is different, right? The mm-hmm. expectations placed upon, upon men about how they're allowed to show, how they're allowed to show up in a workplace situation, the way they're supposed to display confidence and also how that's culturally bound, right? And American standards versus central European standards, it looks different in other places in the world. So those are all things that are, again, when I was talking about identity and and context, that's a great instance of, well, what is it? Is imposter syndrome mainly a Western, Western kind of affliction or, you know, I don't know, but those are things that we should look at. Absolutely. Look at the cultural context. Interesting aspect. You know, a lot of us are on social media nowadays. Is there anybody that you would recommend to follow in regards to, you know, to gain that self-confidence, gain that self-awareness? Hmm. I think, I think there are so many choices you have, but I think what, what I, instead of saying whom to follow, what I want to say to folks is pay attention to what your needs are. What is it that you are seeking in people? And be careful when you, you know, when you hear a name and you see a face and you think, oh, hmm really pay attention to what message are they giving and what is the context? Where are they coming from? What is their origin story, right? We always, you know, if you think about superheroes and the whole Marvel complex, what's the backstory? How did they get that way? So I think when when you're thinking about whom to follow, ask yourself, what am I looking for? And how might this person have messages for me. And I want, and I also want to encourage people to look off the beaten path. It doesn't necessarily have to be someone who's had the same experiences. It can be someone who's had very different experiences from them. So lastly, but if you have any advice for any of our educators out there, our professionals who may be going through such, such a thing, any last advice that you would have for them? And also how can anybody reach you? To reach me, I, Twitter is still my living room. So my handle is at edified listener, and that's also the name of my blog. And 
And I also have a Substack newsletter that's called Bending the Arc. So any one of those places should you should be able to find me. Now, advice for anyone who may be, and educators who may be going through any of this stuff. Find, if you can, and I know this is not always easy, find your people. Find your people. And again, they may be online. They may not be in your institution. And this is something I think I did a workshop on a couple of years ago about whatever it is that you are passionate about, the people that you need may not be in your immediate proximity. They might be, and that would be great, but you may need to look beyond who's in your immediate circle. So don't be afraid to, to look online, to find those communities based on your interests and your passions and ask around. So be brave, ask questions and reach out to me or any of the other educators that you may be connected to through ISS or some other learning venues and we can work that out. All right. So thank you so much. Sherry, thank you. Thank you so much. This was so powerful in so many ways. For those listening, thanks again for tuning in to ISS EDU Learn Ask Me Anything episode eight with Sherry. Don't forget to to hit the subscribe, like, and leave us a review. We could be found on Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Spotify. Until next time, bye-bye, guys.